0: Hey Fifth Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What's up, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Subjectively Speaking on the Hockey Podcast. Now, presented by DraftKings and Raycon. My name is Jeremy, and I'm Laura. And folks, we are we are launching into a pretty exciting episode for the two of us. It's it's really kind of like the reason for the season for us. It's the stuff that we really like to talk about in and around our show, but also just the way in which we try to fan and that is we are going to be spending some time today talking about hockey is for everyone and um, you know, we've got a cool segment just highlighting some of the people that we think are the most inspirational outside of, of your general norms of what you would expect somebody who is involved in the sport and involved in in the environment to be. And so, Laura, I'm pretty excited for this one.
1: Yes, me too. Um, and this has always been part of our mission um, that having this show and building this community is about uh, making the hockey world a more welcoming and inclusive place uh, for everyone and growing the game um, and really, really preaching the fact that the more diverse and inclusive that hockey becomes, the better it's going to be. Uh, so, yeah. And it's especially been, we've been kind of talking about this for the last couple of weeks because it has been especially difficult over the last couple of months Um being advocates and allies uh, in the hockey world uh, because there's been some pretty disappointing um, actions and things that have made it difficult to be a fan. But we want to be the positive voices and and the lights through those situations because we know that those opinions and those feelings and those thoughts are not um, the majority. At least we hope they're not. (laughs) They are not the majority of the fans and particularly of, of those people who, who listen to our show. So.
0: Yeah. I I think that's exceptionally true. Like, I feel like if you think about who we are as people and you think about the work that we do outside of the podcast that we do, it's all so centered in like dealing with folks who like, you know, having to change perspectives and, like, having to try to, like, challenge people to be better. And, like, that's just, like, kind of the place that we, like, find ourselves in professionally, personally, like, you name it. I just think that that's a place that we migrate to naturally just because of how much we think it matters. And and I at least I'm going to speak for myself, but I think I'm speaking for you when I say that I don't think you and I would do this or I don't think that you and I would, you know, try to create that community if we didn't think that it was possible and if we didn't think that there were there opportunities there to, to make this sport better, to make this kind of a community better. And it's, it goes into what I've always talked about, which is like society and sports are just so intertwined in a way that I don't think a lot of people really spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about. And it's, it's true when you consider any sort of, you know, going all the way back to Jesse Owens in, in Nazi Germany, you know what I mean? Like participating in the Olympics as a black man and, and winning a gold medal and, you know, using that as a form of protest or, you know, even more recently thinking through, you know, kneeling during the national anthem of various different professional sports and, you know, amateur sports leagues. And so it's always been a part of it. And I think, and I hope that In this episode today, hopefully folks are going to get a chance to hear a little bit more about the people who are are doing this work. I know, you know, we've looked at each other's lists, Laura. I know that there are going to be a couple of names on here that people at least are somewhat familiar of. But I think there are probably six or seven names on here that I think the casual hockey fan, to no fault of their own, just might not necessarily know who they are. And I'm really excited to be able to to talk about these folks and to be able to kind of bring them into the light and try to, to give them an opportunity to... You know, you know, through us, I guess, share their story about like what what the work is that they're doing in hockey and why it's so important and why we see value in it. Uh, With I'm sure some commentary from us in between those those little uh, nuggets of of information here. But Laura, I I think you know to your point, the last couple of weeks have been exceptionally challenging when we consider the fact that we've had a number of teams whether that be you know a member of the Philadelphia Flyers whose name I won't say choosing to not wear uh, the the pride warm up jersey in Philadelphia or you know a team deciding to not use pride warm up jerseys or you know teams choosing to not use pride tape things like that have made it hard, I think, for the folks who are most affected by that to still want to engage, and and I think in a lot of ways that is the reason that tonight, or we're recording, of course, as you all know, on a Thursday night, and this is Friday's episode. Uh, Friday is the day that the Blue Jackets play uh, their Hockeys for Everyone uh, game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're, we're not going to spend any time talking about that game or talking about what's happening on the ice tonight, uh, and, and I hope you all understand that. I hope you get why this is the thing that we want to be the center of this episode today and sure the jackets play hockey on friday and saturday but you know the the larger social commentary and what really actually matters in this case is talking about the stories of the people who have oftentimes been muted in this society
1: yeah and uh yeah it's just a very important thing it's you know even if you know certain things disappoint us we always want to make sure that we are a place and a voice where everyone feels welcome and included and, you know, just, just a space. And, you know, much like we try and strive to be a a show that talks hockey where it's understandable and like, it's not a lot of shop talk. And it's like something that if you're a brand new fan, like you're going to understand the things that we're saying. Um, Just like that, we want to be, we want to be a place for, any kind of fan to every kind of fan, um, you have a home here at Subjectively Speaking.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And so, Laura, we all, whenever we welcome people in our home, what's the first question that I always ask? Oh no. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) How are you? Yeah, how's it going? How how are you doing tonight, Laura?
1: I'm good. I am good. It's uh, been a pretty good week. So, I mean, unusually speaking for us the last couple of weeks is we've actually just recorded a few days ago. So, um, not much has changed. It is windy as all get out though in all all across Ohio. And, uh, I've been kind of nervous. I have a (laughs) blue flamingo in my flower buds outside and I've been kind of nervous that I'm going to go outside tomorrow and he has going to be gone. And, flown far far away (laughs) because it's it is crazy crazy windy like it's blown like steeples off churches and all this sort of stuff it blew my uh friend Casey's her kid's trampoline um well first it blew it into their car and then it blew it all the way across one of their fields and they had to pin it down with a tractor so not not
0: pinning it down with a whole farm equipment (laughs) (laughs)
1: so and this is and they weren't the kind of people that like didn't weight their trampoline down like it was weighted down with sandbags and all this sort of stuff like they're very protective of their children but it's still like it picked it right up blew it straight into their car crushed their windshield and then blew it across the field um and her husband yeah had to use a tractor to weight it down
0: for what it's worth, anybody who's listening, if you want to know anything about my upbringing and my childhood, very much no sandbags on my trampoline. Very much, very much no protection, no way to down, no anchors to the ground. Like that, if that- if Oh, you didn't have hit, a net? There was a net. There was a net. It just, if the wind hit that mug, I mean, obviously not while you're bouncing on it, but like, if it, it listen, sail, so, it's gone. Um,
1: but oh, it's okay. My parents didn't um, anchor our swing set- so, like, sometimes if you'd swing too oh, high, it would tip up rock. with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. not. That's horrifying. I hate show. <laughs> Can I just talk about it? <laughs> Fuck you, Bill Nye. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Laura, we joked, <laughs> we, we have talked about, uh, you know, if we were ever to get, you know, the whole idea of, like, friendship tattoos or whatever, and you sent one that was, like, bad bitch juice and sad bitch juice, and we pretty quickly, and if you listen to our show, like, you know which one of us is which. <laughs> Nine times out of ten. This week, it's the one time out of ten where Laura is very much giving the bad bitch energy, and I'm, I'm giving the sad bitch energy. I am struggling this week. I'm tired. I am ready for the weekend in a way that I cannot even begin to describe. I have to be up until... 2 a.m. at work tomorrow doing an event with my students, which is why I'm not able to come down to Columbus this weekend for Hockey for Everyone, but I love my job. I love my students. I love my job. I love my students. I love my job. I love my students. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just exhausted. I'm really tired. I was just, I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit on Tuesday's episode. I was just in Indianapolis over the weekend last weekend, had a couple of presentations and did a couple of things there for a conference, and I'm just so tired. I haven't recovered, and I'm still unpacking my apartment. And it is also windy here. It is also just regularly a lot windier here. I've noticed that it is back in Ohio, like at least from my experience, mm-hmm. it's just like a windy part of the country. I don't know, uh, with the lake being right there, but. Yes, yeah, so I'm exhausted. So I'm ready for the weekend. I personally cannot wait until Saturday when I to literally just lay in my bed and do absolutely nothing all day. Like that is absolutely my plan. And so I'm really looking forward to that. But but yeah, I, Laura, let's, let's dive into the... Enough about me being sad and tired. Let's dive into the good stuff here on this episode. Uh, so to recap, Laura and I... We picked five folks each, so we wanted to share a little bit about their story and why we think they're important. And, you know, again, just kind of have a conversation about them, create some space for them on our show today. And then we'll we'll wrap this one up the same way we always do. So pretty, you know, good and heavy content, but um, we're not going to keep it here for an hour and 45 minutes like we did on Tuesday. Thank you to the Troopers who stuck into that one. But, uh, Laura, I'm going to throw it to you first. You know, who who's the first person that you want to – start a conversation about and, and bring some of their work to the light.
1: So, you know, it's a good episode when the notebook comes out and like the homework has been done. Um Cause obviously, yeah, I, held
0: people- I held my notebook up in a way where you couldn't tell that. Like I kind of gave up on like taking <laughs> like really structured notes and it kind of just turned into chicken scratch. And now I have five tabs open for each of my five people from the main sources that I got information from.
1: Well, you're so much better than me at like remembering certain things and like I will freak out if I don't have like specifics in front of me. So um, so I like granted some of the writing is not as legible as I would like it to be, but nonetheless, we did lots of homework because that's how important this this episode and uh, highlighting these uh, really incredible humans is uh, so the first person I want to talk about is uh, Brian Burke. He is a former player and current president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I know we have to give him a pass on that but he does really good work y'all so like we're gonna give him a pass that he works for the Penguins. He has a storied career in the hockey world. He's held positions with the Canucks, the Ducks, the Leafs, and the Flames. And most notably, he stands as one of the most outspoken executives in the NHL in support of LGBTQ initiatives and making hockey a more inclusive sport. So Brian got into this advocacy work first off in support of his son, Brendan, who lived as a proud gay man. They made multiple appearances in uh, pride play- Pride parades in Canada and Um, in the different uh, states where Brian was working for various teams. And then unfortunately, uh, Brendan was tragically killed in a car accident. And from that tragedy, Brian and his other son, Patrick, decided to make the most of Brendan's life and create a legacy for him and for the many, many athletes that Brian met along the way in his advocacy and created uh, the incredible organization You Can Play, which is a project targeted at ending homophobia in all sports. It's a project that we've talked about before, that we've donated to before. It is an incredible organization that is really doing the work on the ground to start at the, the base level with peewee sports, with you know the littlest of kids getting involved, and all the way up through national leagues and trying to eradicate homophobia and that kind of bias and you know ignorance that is still very much so alive and well in in most sports so it's such an honorable like work and such a beautiful way for him to commemorate his son and yeah it's just something that you would love to see more of from people with his kind of you know executive presence. And it's it's really an awesome thing to see the work that he's been able to do. And I can't wait to see as that program grows.
0: Definitely. And I think that this is like, it's the thing that I've always thought about when I think through like how people process inclusion work and things like that. Sometimes I really do truly feel that all you have to do is know one person that could be affected by your advocacy in order to want to be an advocate for something. Right. And so in this case, like you mentioned, Brian's son, you know, to have, to have somebody within your family, to have somebody who you love so deeply be a member of a marginalized community. I think it really changes your perspective. If you're, if you're a good parent and if you're a good person on how to advocate for and be a voice for, the person that you love who you recognize has been marginalized intentionally by society over the, over the course of, of years. And so I, you know, I, like you said, I can forgive the fact that he he's currently an employee of the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, good on them for, for hiring a man like Brian Burke. I I guess, I guess perhaps maybe even the Penguins can do something right every once in a while, even, even if you don't agree with Brian Burke's, you know, hockey, (sighs) hockey prowess or his his hockey history like you could at least respect the work that he has done in uh in, in this inclusion and advocacy work and so kudos to him and i appreciate you you bringing his story to light laura so we're going to transition to me my first person that i'm going to talk a little bit about is uh, bridget laquette so bridget laquette is you know i'm taking a lot of what i what i'm sharing this evening from from sportsnet uh, an article by donovan bennett specifically where Donovan Bennett calls Lacquette a modern-day hockey renaissance woman, and it's it's really true. So LaQuet was the first uh, it, the first Indigenous woman to play for the Canadian Olympic team, and specifically even now in the work that that she is doing currently, she's the first Indigenous woman to scout for an NHL team, and uh, she does that work with the Chicago Blackhawks. And and thankfully. Folks have begun to notice a lot of the work that she's been putting in and recognize the influence of her in the sport and have begun to partner with her to commit to growing the game for folks who are who are typically marginalized in these spaces. And so the Kruger Big Assist has partnered with, with her based off of the work that she's done in minor league hockey. And so that partnership entails the commitment of $400,000 to minor hockey associations in Canada and an exclusive grant program to help change the narrative around who belongs in the sport. And I think that, you know, you know, this is truly speaking when we start to talk about like intersectionality and the way that intersectionality can play into levels of access. Right. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about somebody soon who, you know, holds a lot of really, you know, socially privileged identities except for one. And so recognizing how like different identities and their intersections can sometimes make things harder for folks to achieve things. I mean, when you're talking about an indigenous woman in hockey, some like it's just hard to believe that anybody from from the First Nation could could be in this spot and yet we're just doing the work and is making an incredible difference. And, you, you know, it's, it's even you know, kind of, she's not been afraid to speak on, you know, the use of even in, in the case of her employer, right? I mean, like the Blackhawks, we, we talk about the use of, uh you know, different mascots or things like that for professional sports teams that could potentially be culturally insensitive, racist, whatever have you. And she even owns that, Like she understands and did the research in understanding why some people might have a feeling of her taking a job as an indigenous person with, with an organization who uses, uh, you know, a Blackhawk, the Blackhawk tribe, right? Like to, you know, be their mascot. And she references a lot of the work that the team has done, you know, even this is an anecdote, but when I went to a game in, in October in Chicago, a couple weeks later, they were having their indigenous people's game, right? Like that's the kind of thing that, you know, at least you can be thankful that the Blackhawks do that, Right. And so, you know, LaQuette is a great example of the fact that intersectionality can hold you down, but it doesn't have to count you out. And I I love the story. I can't wait to see more and more of what what she does and what she achieves, because this was not on her list of things to do being a scout in the NHL. But here she is. And. She's doing the damn thing and well, she's probably got a lot of work to do with the Blackhawks. Let's be honest, she's going to be scouting a lot of amateurs coming up here very soon. So kudos to her and all the busy work that she's going to have moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think it's awesome that you chose to highlight her, especially with the relationship that the Can- Canada has with the indigenous people. Uh, there's been so much trauma and it's a very storied history. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing that she's able to finally represent such a crucial part of Canada's, you know, population and, and bring, shine some light on onto those people because it has just been similarly to the indigenous people of the United States. Like it is not been a history that is nice or is, you know, hopeful. And I just think that she's, she's, really doing the work. And again, it's, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of guts and a lot of ambition to be an Indigenous person and and work for an organization that, you know, does come under the spotlight for certain things. But I have no doubt that uh, she's putting in the extra work to, to be a voice for change within the Blackhawks organization. So kudos to her and Again, just such an important uh, marginalized group to represent, and I'm glad that she's she's breaking down those those walls and that ceiling um, for the Indigenous people of Canada. So,
0: and I love I love too like the emphasis of community in her story. Like that to me is like so important. We talk about all the time the importance of community. I mean, we work in jobs where building community is really key, but it's just so we don't like I don't think we talk about enough, especially you know for folks in marginalized communities, just how how pivotal community can be in finding space to feel seen, to feel valued, to feel heard, but also for folks who just will literally do anything for you, who will, who will chip in the money to play a sport. This is expensive. as hockey. And will you know, challenge the norms of what it means to be a hockey player. I I love it. It's, it's just, I couldn't have thought of a better person to start with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good job. Co-host. Love it. Uh, So I'm going to highlight my first uh, woman in my list, and it's someone who's really trying to do the work um, from, you know, the center point of the league that we all love. And I'm going to highlight Kim Davis, who currently serves as the um, executive vice president for social impact and growth initiatives for the NHL, the National Hockey League. Um, Kim is a proud woman of color and she has served in this role with the NHL since 2017 and she is working to create and implement so many initiatives um, throughout the league because, you know, I think you would be (laughs) blind to not notice that the NHL has a very complicated history with um, providing opportunities of inclusivity and diversity and Um, especially over the last decade or so as the um, cultural situations in society, especially in North America um, and over in Europe, have just been drastically changing. Um, Some of the things have been slower to come in the National Hockey League. Um, But Kim is that person who is working to make that difference. And one of the things that she has been super – a part of is getting together, creating uh, the count or the sorry, the Executive Inclusion Council, uh, which is made up of various coaches and executives and members of the board within the NHL that is specifically dedicated to working on these initiatives and programs, finding opportunities from the bottom up. To educate and inform and encourage the people that work for the NHL from teams to coaches to, you know, general staff, executives, everything involved. The importance of per, of making hockey a more inclusive and diverse space, because honestly, I, I don't see how you don't think that doing those things would make the NHL and hockey itself um, for, more for the better. So Kim has really hit the ground and like her focus is so much on education as well. So she started l- launching different programs um, through various teams uh, to, to really start educating, especially the players, because they're the role models. They're the people that, you know, young hockey fans and fans in general are seeing. So it's just really great to see someone really at the heart and soul of this league that we, you know, bittersweetly love (laughs) or love to hate, I guess, really trying to make a difference, um, you know, from from go. And I'm just really impressed. And she really values her role and feels really proud to be a voice, um, not only as a person of color, but as a woman. And it's it's been really cool to see some of the initiatives that she's put forth.
0: I think that, you know, her story, especially in the role that she plays, it, it really aligns with what you and I always say as folks who work in education is just like how important it is and trying to, the thing that I found myself saying a lot recently is the concept of like not trying to change minds, but trying to change mindsets, right? Like it's like trying to change perspectives. And I think education is the best way to do that. So all the work that she's doing in order to make that happen, I think is really key. And, and to be, especially somebody of so much power in, you know, in the league, I, I love it. I love the the story there, and I can't wait to continue to see how this league continues to grow in in the areas that she leads, and it's going to be a better league for her leadership. And so I'm really looking forward to following her story. And Laura, there's another player on my list whose story I'm really looking forward to following, and that is none other than, than Luke Prokop. So Luke Prokop is – the first person to come out as gay while having an NHL contract. And so this is a huge, 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 huge milestone, you know, and it was when it happened. Right. And so kind of talking through just what it means for, for Luke and for the role that, that he plays in, in sports and, and, in, you know, history. So on July 19th, Luke Prokop chose, to come out, he chose to come out on Instagram, and you know he he did that. I want to say it was the story that I'm reading was just after after seven a.m. And again, this is a, a story that I am I'm sharing with you all from from Sportsnet from Christina Rutherford. And Luke's story is not entirely uncommon for for a junior hockey player who tries to progress through the league uh that, that they're drafted in right and that they you know he, he's a bigger guy he's you know i want to say he's six five and so like from the jump like he was somebody who everybody thought like oh he's gonna be like a, a rock star he had 204 goals <laughs> in one year like playing like biddy hockey right like we're not talking like he was doing that in like the whl but but he was drafted into the into the whl and you know he, he's unfortunately like because he is such a good prospect. He's bounced around a couple of teams in in his days, but primarily what's what's the most important thing about this is that he is a defenseman. Uh, he's a defenseman. He's a prospect for the Nashville Predators and kudos to the Nashville Predators for always being so open to sharing Luke's story and not being afraid to talk about the impact that Luke has. I mean, it goes, I mean, it goes without saying just how incredibly important the action of a 19-year-old choosing to live authentically is, and you know, thankfully, what I like the most about Luke's story is is just like the love and support that he received from his teammates at the time that he came out. He was a member of the Edmonton Oil Kings, and there's a player, a uh, former player for the Oil Kings. His name is Jake Neighbors. Who, Laura, you probably recognize that name because he was somebody who was in Traverse City. He's uh, he plays for the Blues, and he said, you know. Quite truthfully, I think it's immeasurable. He's really changing the world of hockey. And I I can't understate that, right? It's one of those things where it might not seem like a big deal and people will brush it off and say that it's just, you know, who cares? Who cares what somebody's sexuality is and this, that, and the other, which is always a funny argument when the people who seem to say that are the people who oftentimes care the most <laughs> what somebody's sexuality is in other situations, right? And so I, I think – with Luke's story, right. It's just, you know, it's one that I think a lot of people are familiar with. And so not necessarily diving into the nitty gritty here, but I think just really kind of just emphasizing just how important his story is to the the momentum of acceptance in sports and in a league where sometimes I feel like they are so far behind everything, obviously like Carl Nassib in the NFL is breaking down barriers but luke prokop being a gay nhl prospect is is massive it is massive for the sport and i and i can't wait until the day that the puck drops on his first nhl game in nashville and we get to celebrate that we get to celebrate the first openly gay nhl player i'm counting down the days
1: Yeah, I love Luke's story. I like distinctly remember the day that um, he made his announcement. And again, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I wish at least that we could grow to be a society where those things aren't needed to be done, where like you can just live your authentic self without having to, you know, he talked about having to have meetings with, you know, his coaches and his family and like all this sort of stuff about how this was going to ripple affect the potential of his career. And at 19 years old, you shouldn't have to have those conversations um, just in order to live your authentic self. And, you know, ever since then, there's been a great amount of support for him. There were a lot of players at the time when he did make his announcement, a lot of current NHL players that stood in support um, of him living living his life and being a proud openly gay man and also being an incredible athlete. So he is hope, he is hope for the future and you know like we said it's not it's not going to change with one person or one situation but Luke is a great example of of what is to come in in these situations. So I like that you got to to highlight him. And so I'm next again, and uh, my next person is someone that when we, well, when I started being a fan of hockey, and also when we decided to go into this endeavor, I really found inspiration from her and, um, and her advo- advocacy work, and just how unabashedly, like, powerful she is. And I so much believe in her message and I just really thought we couldn't do this episode without talking about her. So the next person I'm going to feature is Renee Hess. And Renee is the founder and executive director of the Black Girl Hockey Club, an organization dedicated to making space for Black women and girls in the hockey community. Um, it's such an incredible organization and it has been doing such great work to really build and encourage more Black women and girls to feel comfortable, not just like trying hockey or getting into the sport, playing it themselves, but viewing it, being a fan, being in those environments and knowing and feeling that they are welcome there, that they belong there and to not let like, these old school thoughts and keep them away from falling in love with this sport. And Renee is really impactful through this organization. And of course, all of the other incredible people that work on her board. But Renee is active in doing, you know, webinars and speaking on panels and hosting a a whole slew of events um, throughout the hockey season and, and the off season encouraging you know more young women um, and women of color to fall in love with this game and to feel like they can and to feel and you know I, I sound like a broken record but to I think people so many people underestimate what it's like to not feel like you can like something or feel like you can want to learn about something because you just haven't seen your representation in that space and the other thing that Renee has been able to do is thankfully start working with uh you know any amount of hockey related professionals and teams to really start talking about anti-racism initiatives because again as we're going to repeat throughout this this episode like these things are still rampant um, within the hockey community. And it's so incredible to see some of these teams really start opening up to the idea that it's important to have these initiatives and to have these things written into their their bylaws and the, and the foundation of their organizations and that their players start getting educated um, and making it a priority that the people that play for their teams represent these these beliefs and like these strong foundations of like we are accepting an open community and we we can move forward and build build upon these things so but about the black the black girl hockey club um one of the things that they do which i find so empowering and you know i wish that we as Columbus Blue Jackets fans had a a higher percentage, I feel one day that we will get there. But one of the things they do is called the Get Uncomfortable campaign. And it's essentially about pledging to start getting uncomfortable, start learning about, you know, your own biases and how you can be a more effective person in your community and what you can do to, you know, change your own beliefs and understandings. And like, Break out of your comfort zone, and you know the the they have a pledge that you can sign. Jeremy and I have both signed it. Jeremy's actually wearing his Black Girl Hockey Club shirt when as we record tonight. But you know you can go on their website and you can sign that pledge and you can dedicate yourself to educating and making hockey a more welcoming and inclusive place for everyone. And honestly, I'm just so inspired by Renee, and I think she's just doing doing such incredible work.
0: Definitely. And I remember that really being such an important, w- when the Black Girl Hockey Club really began to, to gain some traction, I remember that just being such an important piece of conversation for folks around the league. And and obviously, I think as time has progressed and, and just seeing the Black Girl Hockey Club remain such a mainstay in, in the work that they're doing. I mean, even just seeing, you know, <laughs> here this last weekend at the all-star game, I, I think it was Renee that ran into, um, you know, Brady Kachuk in, in Florida and, you know, even Brady Kachuk saying like, I love the work that you're doing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like it's really cool to see hockey players engaging with the work that that Renee and, and her team are doing, but you know, we, we don't say it enough in society and, and we don't say it enough on the show. But we'll just take some space to to say it here now is like, shout out to black women, like black women are among the most mistreated folks in our country and our societies. And so this is, I'm rooting for all the black women in society. Again, if you're looking for a place to find home, you you have it here and I can assure you of that. Um, Laura, you know, we're going to take a little bit of a break here from, from reading our, our lists to kind of dive into some, some pretty cool You know, some pretty cool opportunities for folks to win some good money on DraftKings this coming weekend as uh, it's the biggest Sunday in sports because DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action that you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app at every day between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. eastern standard time to see what prop bet will be boosted again you all know this by now absolutely rooting for everybody that's not patrick mahomes and the eagles and uh, or excuse me and the chiefs and i'm pulling for the eagles here this weekend for super bowl 57 so if you're like me and you want to to win some cash and you want to to throw your money down This weekend, you're going to want to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 to get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Give me a second to get to the Raycon ad. Jesus, give me a second to get to the Raycon ad. I'm reading it off of my phone, which is a new thing for me. Okay. Laura, this time of year, everyone is talking about making big changes, which is, well, good and all, but most of the time it's pretty unrealistic. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself making these really ludicrous, massive New Year's resolutions that I know are never going to come true. But I've actually found that sometimes the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. And in the same way that you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase, You can find out that even the smallest things can be a part of a big change if it's something you use every day like my Raycons. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Maybe you are somebody who decided that you wanted to go to the gym once a week. Maybe you just so happen to want to go to the gym on a Tuesday or on a Friday when you know that your favorite podcast, objectively speaking, has just dropped an episode. Well, I promise you that listening to our show on your Raycons, it's the best way to listen to our show no matter what you're doing. So whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yep, Raycon's start at half the price of other premium audio brands. So you don't even have to choose between products. You can get one of each, a pair and a spare, and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. So maybe you wanna keep a pair of headphones, everyday earbuds specifically, on your desk at home. Maybe you want to take them with you, leave them in the car. So that way when you go to the gym, you know that they're ready to go. Do it, do it how you need to because the price, the price is right. And even if you know you're gonna love them just as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure that you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now, pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. And and frankly, I don't think you're going to have any issues with wanting to return these because the noise isolation feature is incredible. There are different sound profiles. So maybe you want to listen to certain music at a certain sound profile, but you want to listen to our podcast on another. Don't worry. You can set those up yourself. And like I said earlier, guys. There is no way that these things are going to die on you. You're going to get eight hours of battery life for everyday earbuds. And you're going to get 11 hours of playtime on everyday speakers. So if you're ready to buy something small with a big impact, go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off of your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Laura, I'm going to dive into to my next person here and that is none other than Willie O'Ree. So Willie O'Ree is, is best known as we all know for being the first black player in the national hockey league. And while it might feel easy to take, the the willio are route on being a player and being a person that's so important to the movement of inclusion work in hockey it feels like it would be an injustice to not include him as hockey's quote-unquote jackie robinson for breaking the color barrier and you know we're talking about uh, a member of the nhl or the excuse me the hockey hall of fame and we're talking about somebody who really like outside of just also being, you know, a a black hockey player in 1958, there are other reasons why the Willie O'Ree story could have potentially never happened. And in the series of events that led up to it, it's really hard not to to just think that this was some sort of divine intervention because the, you know, as Willie O'Ree is going through his minor league season in the fifties you know, he gets called up to the Bruins because somebody somebody gets sick and it's Leo Labine, which is like wild to think about like playing such a pivotal role in history because he got sick. Like, wouldn't that be wild if you were just like, Oh, the reason that Willio restarted this game is because I had a cold. That that would be that's wild. But you know, we all know the real reason that Willio restarted in that game, and that's because he worked his ass off to get there. And and so you know, two years prior to making his NHL debut in nineteen fifty eight, he had actually been blinded in the right eye when he was hit with a puck. and and that would have been something that, if the Bruins would have been aware of that, he never would have played a game in the NHL. But somehow some way, Willie O'Ree was able to play hockey with with only vision in his left eye and was able to make sure that nobody. Nobody knew about it. And he he made his debut on January 18th, 1958, against the Montreal Canadiens. And he only played two games that year, but he played 43 the following season. You know, unfortunately, O'Ree was was definitely a victim of, of many racial instances and racist incidences in his playing career in the NHL, including multiple physical altercations, potential riots you know, threats from fans, whatever have you. Ultimately, Willie O'Ree was traded from the Bruins to the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, he never really got the opportunity to to make a name for himself there. And he kind of got buried in the minor leagues. And, and so O'Ree, ultimately, he finished his career with four goals and 10 assists. And, and that all happened in 1961. But it, it's just... To say that Willie O'Ree is important would be an injustice to the actual impact that he had and continues to have on the sport. And that's the other thing about it, too, is like this, you know, we talk about how important it was that he made this debut. Well, his debut in 1958 was not followed by there being another black player in the NHL until Mike Marson was drafted by the Washington Capitals. And so as we discuss things now, like in the mid 2010s, there were 23 black players, but like ultimately, right. And it'd be a shame to not mention Art Dorrington's name. Art Dorrington was the first black player to ever sign an NHL contract, but he never played on the minor league level. And so Willie O'Ree has served as the NHL's diversity ambassador since 1998. And he goes around to schools and, and he travels and he puts on hockey programs promoting the idea of of inclusion diversity equity in in sports and i mean it's just it goes beyond saying how important he is to the sport of hockey and you know here recently his number being retired by the boston bruins if you ask me i think it should be retired throughout the whole league in the same way that you see jackie robinson day everybody wears the number 42 out onto the pitch like that's the kind of thing that i'd love to see the league do but you know kudos to the bruins for doing it and uh we're really lucky to have Leo Ree still with us and, and still fighting the good fight. Uh, and I can only imagine just the fulfillment that he feels from time to time. And also probably sometimes the disappointment he feels from time to time about where we are in hockey today after he made his debut in 1958, which, some quick math, would have been what? sixty four, sixty five 65 years ago? 65, yeah. 65, yeah. That's going to Which be a massive, probably a good thing that I'm not going to be. But, but, yeah, no. So, in 65 years, I'm sure a lot of things have progressed in a way that we can't necessarily appreciate living here in the present. But,
1: yeah, no. Willie O'Ree is just, he's such a force. And when things are difficult and things, you know, happen within this league. You, you have to sit back and remember everything that he fought for and went through uh, to play the sport that he loved and, you know, continues to face, you know, more than likely to this day. Because again, as a broken record, like there's still a lot of these feelings in within the hockey community. And I have no doubt that unfortunately he probably still encounters it um, on a regular if not semi-regular basis and for him to be at the age that he is where he could you know more more deservingly be able to just retire and enjoy his life and like all this sort of stuff he chooses to go out and do this work because that's how much he loves the game and like we said believes that the more diverse and inclusive that the hockey world becomes the better it will be for it So, I mean, hats off to him. I entirely agree that I think it would be a a beautiful tribute for all the teams across the league to retire his number um, because he is such a, a steadfast icon and, you know, legend to look up to within the hockey world. So I love that you picked him. So good choice. Thank you. Okay, so I'm up again, and I'm choosing another sort of ceiling breaker person who I think was, would not think, I know was a huge inspiration to um, one of your picks, uh, Luke, who you just spoke about um, earlier, and that is Brock McGillis, who is a former player, now turned activist, who in 2016, uh, became the quote-unquote first uh, professional hockey app, hockey player to come out as gay. Now we all know that there, just statistically we know that there are many more players out there, current and former, that are gay and for any reason or another um, never came out while they were playing or still haven't felt the need or want to um come out in after their careers. And Brock really, you know, took that step and put it on a public platform. And he has been encouraging players and other people, other athletes ever since. And he works tirelessly now uh, to be an advocate for LGBTQ plus athletes and it's been great as of late over the last couple of years, as we've you know had people like Luke and, and other athletes around the world feel more comfortable living their authentic selves that Brock is always there after they make their announcements to tell them like, welcome, like I hope that you feel as free as I did and that, you know, this weight has been lifted off your shoulders um, because that's what, you know, it is such a burden to carry and it's you know unfortunately he wasn't able to do it or didn't feel comfortable enough to, to do it while he was currently playing um he spent 10 years in uh, various professional leagues including playing over in europe as well but it you know is such an encouragement that he took his retirement and his you know the rest of his career to now be an advocate for those people to to make these opportunities more prevalent and to make other people feel comfortable to do so as, as the years go on. And uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were the first team in 2020 to um, agree to work with Brock in doing some virtual trainings on uh, removing homophobia from their organization. And that was a really big step because that is, you know, that is them pointing out an issue And pointing out a problem that they want to eradicate from their organization. And so that was a big step. And so other teams have reached out since and have started working with Brock, which is incredible. And then most recently, which I didn't know until tonight when I was researching him, that he himself launched um, an organization in 2022 called the Alphabet Sports... Coalition or collective, sorry, the Alphabet Sports Collective, which is an organization dedicated uh, to supporting LGBTQ uh, plus people within hockey. And it's, it's going really well. He has a lot of like events and initiatives. And I just know that this is going to be another situation, much like You Can Play or Pride Tape that really open up a lot of doors um, for these LGBTQ plus players who are looking to find their place and their home and their safety um, within this within this community. So there you go Brock.
0: Yeah and I think the thing that I often hear people talk about is like, oh well, why didn't you come out at this point? Why didn't you come out when you're still an athlete? And I think Luke's story is able to happen because of the progress that we've made over the course of the last few years is because of the progress that, like exactly like you said, it's it's the work that folks like Brock have done, right? And so I never and I don't think that anybody who listens to the show would probably ever take the stance of shaming somebody for not coming out or owning a part of themselves in a space where it was unsafe to do so, but I think that with him specifically, I think about that. And I know that some people use that to discredit the work that he does, but the reality is is that like, nobody owes us their, you know, fullest vulnerability and and nobody owes us their entire story. And, and so when they're willing to share it with us, that's when it's really powerful and that's when it really means something. And so I'm a big fan of Brock as, as you all know. And so, you know, Kudos to you for that pick and for, for sharing his story. And and the next player whose story I want to share, like, to me, it's it, it hits home for a couple of reasons. And part of that is the work that I do now. But also it just is like, it's just like so, so harmful, This the, everything that, that this person has gone through. But it's also like what they've done with that and how they've worked to affect change has been really key. And that is Akim Aliu. And so, for those who who might not know who Akim Aliu is, so you know, he was originally he was born in Nigeria, moved to to Ukraine. His, his mom is Ukrainian, and they moved to Kiev. And and eventually they migrated or immigrated, excuse me, to Toronto. And you know, obviously, Akim found the game of hockey. And you know, uh, the story is not untraditional in the fact that you basically. He, he wore whatever gear he could because as we know, hockey is really inaccessible to folks and it's really expensive. And he found a way to make it work. And along the way throughout his entire career, he found himself running into barrier after barrier in the form of really disgusting, racist, horrid behavior that can only be described as just pure evil. And and I think if you, haven't, if you haven't already, I think this obviously made its rounds when it was written in 2020, but Akeem posted a story in the Players' Tribune, and it was called Hockey is Not for Everyone. And the first few lines of, of this article is, you are fought for your life? Like, really fought for your life. In 2005, in a tiny arena in Windsor, Ontario, I fought for my life. And this story goes on to this article, excuse me, goes on to tell the story of, of the hazing that Ake Aliou experienced in his rise to the NHL, which included abuse by, by somebody who played in over 400 NHL games. And And so some of that included you know, stripping folks and making them be forced into bathrooms. With the heat all the way turned up. and it included, the, the guy I just mentioned whose name is I'm not going to give him any space on this show shoved his stick in Akeem's mouth and busted out seven teeth. And, you know, to be just so many people to have failed Akeem in that space and to for such for culture to have failed Akeem in that space, you know, the reality is that Akeem probably should have been a very prominent player in the NHL. But the barriers that he ran into intentionally, over and over and over again, are just you know, are, are the reason why the biggest difference that Akeem is able to make right now is through the founding, uh, the co-founding of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which has been really integral in challenging the NHL to be better and to work on some of the behaviors and some of the things that are happening within the league. And the reality is it's like the NHL has not met them where they would like for the NHL to meet them. And I could go out on a limb here and say that that probably won't be the case for a really long time at this rate. But it's just when you look at all of the things that Akeem speaks of in this article, you know, specifically thinking about like Keandre Miller and this is something I feel like we don't talk about very often, but like do folks forget like in the height of COVID, like somebody hijacked Keandre Miller's Q and A and like, just like was were using like the worst of the worst racial slurs and things like that to a 20 year old kid. Like, it's just like that is the kind of shit that just makes me absolutely absolutely sick, but it's, it's the opposite of it. It's the, it's the positive side of things, right? It's the, it's the being the voice for the folks who are potentially going through a similar thing because nobody was able to be the voice for you when you were going through those things. And the thing that I will always say in situations like this, I say it in my work all the time is like, it is not the responsibility of a victim in a scenario like this to be the one that educates. And whenever a victim chooses to take the route of educating people on their story, if you don't listen And if you don't take that in and if you don't make conscious changes based on the story that you've heard, you lack some form of empathy. You lack some sort of human decency. And I hope that folks just understand how important Akeem is to where hockey will be in the future. I I really, truly believe that he is one of this generation's pioneers for pushing the sport forward and it doesn't matter if he's not the world's most illustrious nhl He's somebody who played the game despite the odds, despite the harassment, despite the abuse, despite the criminal behavior that people exhibited toward him. And here he is. And he's putting in the work, and we owe it to him to listen, especially especially as white folks who, who are hockey fans. We owe it to him to listen to his story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we... I remember us having the discussion when they announced the creation of the the Hockey Diversity um, Association, and just what a powerful situation it is to have this group of players and former players to come together and really speak out about the things that they've experienced and the things that I think a lot of people would rather sweep under the rug um, that are very, very, very prevalent in this sport and, and, in in most sports, unfortunately, and Hakeem's story is, is so powerful. And it's so heartbreaking to know that he went through all of those things, but so empowering to see what he's choosing to do in spite of those circumstances and, and all of the members of, of, that organization, you know, former blue jacket Anthony Declaire is a, a member of the Hockey Diversity Alliance and you know, he's doing incredible work through the Panthers now. Um just launched his own uh charity charitable organization that is helping to provide hockey equipment for under underprivileged kids and that's just using their platform for good and using their stories to spread awareness and when in all reality they had could have every reason and every right to sit in that fear and that anger and instead they're using it for good so it's just it's such an important thing to see and I wish so much that the NHL would would come to their senses and agree to meet them you know in this in this very important important place but Fortunately, I still think we are many years um, from that at this point. So, but very good choice, friend. So, oh my goodness, it's already at my last, my last person. But I did save a pretty great one for last. Uh, someone that I I am pretty inspired by and have really enjoyed over the last few years seeing her influence in in hockey and especially through her social media and her platform, and that is Sarah Nurse, who is a prof- professional woman women's hockey player in Canada, um, a very decorated hockey player um, in Canada, and also a two-time Olympic medalist because she is just that badass. If you were watching. Uh, the All Star, any of the All Star coverage over the weekend, she was a prominent participant and showed up a lot of those fellas with her skills. And she is definitely proving uh, that you know girls, very girls and women, very much so, belong in this league and can be just as powerful and just as talented um, as any man that enters this sport. So aside from her being a total badass on the ice, off the ice, she is using her platform to speak out about social injustice and the rights and the rights and privileges of female athletes. So Sarah is a biracial woman. She is the father or she's the daughter of a Trinidadian um, father and a white mother. So she speaks out as a woman of color, as someone who has obviously faced a lot of adversity um, because of her skin color. And especially during, you know, the height of the pandemic and when a lot of the racial issues were coming to a head um, again in, in the United States and also in Canada, she decided to use her platform to speak out against it. And ever since she has been working as an advocate to eradicate racial issues within the hockey community. Um, She now sits on the board of the, I'm sorry, I'm going to get the, I need to read the the Professional Women's Hockey Player Association. Um, And she took over that spot um, after um, a former member of the board resigned saying, that she was no longer in service uh, and could no longer deny the blind spots um, that they had involving racial issues in hockey. And she felt Sarah was a more appropriate person to be a part of that board. And ever since, she has been using her role to um, create these initiatives to, you know, just eradicate racism and to also. You know, speak out for female athletes and the fact that they deserve the same rights and the same opportunities and the same pay scale um, as their male counterparts because they're putting in just as much work. They oftentimes um, have, you know, the smaller, if not no facility. They, you know, get the short end of the stick when they're trying to develop their leagues, they don't get as much community support. And these athletes are just as talented, just as strong, and she's working to change that for future generations. Um, and I just think, like I said, she's a total badass, um, and she can stand toe to toe with any guy in the NHL. And I know for for years to come, she's going to be an incredible influence um, within within the hockey community. So I was happy to to feature her.
0: Yeah, and also uh, EA Sports cover athlete.
1: Yes, with Trevor Zegress. She is the first woman to ever be on uh, NHL, well, it's NHL 23. So uh, the NHL EA game, uh, which was awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome to see when they released it. Um, it's awesome to see how Trevor embraced um, being part of such a you know monumental thing as well and really really let her shine and he knew that <laughs> he knew that he wasn't <laughs> the <laughs> important part of that release, which is awesome and good for him as a young up-and-coming superstar in the NHL.
0: So absolutely. Yeah. I and that's a really good point that I actually really haven't spent a lot of time thinking about. Is I do really feel like he was pretty okay with taking a back seat in that. In that conversation, and so, um, yeah, like you mentioned, Laura, we're on to our last, so, so our final um, of the ten folks, and, and and let me just like also like throw this out there. I mean, of course, there are so many more than just ten folks who are doing like really incredible work in trying to create more inclusive spaces for hockey fans and for hockey players, and so. This is like we are not even like scratching the surface here of folks that we think that you should know, and hopefully this has inspired you to do a little bit of your own research and digging, and and maybe maybe we you know we would love to to know who's the person that that you would want to put on your you know hockey is for everyone Mount Rushmore right? Who are the people who are actually doing the work that you so deeply appreciate and and have a lot of gratitude for? I, I think of you know my last person as being somebody who is a groundbreaker in a lot of ways and that is Harrison Brown. So Harrison Brown was the first transgender athlete in professional hockey and more specifically he was the first transgender athlete that was playing American professional team sports. And so it goes without saying that his impact is is really really key to to a future future folks who are interested who in playing a sport that, that are a member of the trans community. And especially in a time where even still today in 2023, we spend a lot of time talking about where trans athletes belong in sports. And the, as long as the answer is they do belong in sports, that's what matters most, but let's, you know, talk a little bit more about Harrison because Harrison, you know, he was a part of the national women's hockey league and played for the metropolitan Riveters and the Buffalo Buttes and, and won championships with both teams and has since then really become an advocate for LGBTQIA plus rights within hockey and just within society. And, you know, he was appointed the inclusion leader for the NWHL advisory board and was a special ambassador for the NHL Hockey for everyone initiative. And, was named in 2016 one of the hockey news's uh, top 100 most or top 100 people of power in hockey. And, you know, obviously prior to his work in inclusion and advocacy, he had a decorative, decorated hockey career where he represented Team Canada in the 2011 U18 championship, winning the silver medal in Stockholm, Sweden. And he also represented Team Ontario in the Canadian Winter Games. And so, you know, he. Very clearly, you know, not only just on the ice, but you know, also within the community is is making a difference. And I think that that's the thing that matters the most. And you know he continues to to be a speaker today and has spoke at a number of of different institutions, universities, you know, Ohio State. He spoke at Ohio State, and so that's worth noting. but but even outside of that, to the Maple Leaf sports and entertainment, to the New Jersey Devils Pride, to the NHL All-Star Weekend, to Out Sports Pride. And so the to also to the Tampa Bay Lightning Pride. So I mean just a lot of really, really cool impacts to a lot of different communities made by Harrison. And and that to me, you know, it means the world to see that happening. And I think above all when you hear these names and when you hear us talk about people like Harris, and I hope that you just recognize how much these people truly sacrifice of themselves in order to make a difference in professional sports, in hockey, in society. And it's really cool that we've been able to talk about them more. Like it's been really cool to just take an hour out of our time, out of our day to just reflect on the people who are doing the work to move this sport forward in a way that I know you and I long for it to go, especially when we see such stagnation in the progress that's being made. And so I really appreciate everybody for sticking into this one and really listening to, to all 10 of these folks, but Laura, I'll I'll give you a chance to, if you had anything about Harrison.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you um, said it best when you said, uh, in regard to the discussion of where trans athlete athletes belong. And the only correct answer is that they belong. Uh, There is no, there should be no discussion. um, You know, trans women are women, trans men are men, and a person's genitals or sexual orientation um, is nobody's business. And the fact that, you know, every day more and more we see, you know, just these ridiculous allegations uh, against trans people. It's, you know, it's your fear that is the real issue. Like the trans people in this world are not, you know, the ones to be feared. Like your fear of them is what causes the violence and what causes the danger and what causes hundreds of trans people to be murdered every single year across the world. So again, you said it best that, there should be no discussion about where trans athletes belong because they just belong. But, you know, we, we also wanted to do this because as we said, it's been a a difficult couple of weeks and, you know, there's been a lot of commentary on social media about the various teams that have had issues surrounding their hockey is for everyone or pride nights and, you know, seeing a lot of, um, (laughs) you know, less, less interesting fans making comments of keeping, you know, your politics out of hockey. And we don't want to see your lifestyle or your beliefs uh, shoved in our faces. But here's the thing is someone's existence, someone's gender, their sexuality, their, you know, their race, any of those things, it's not political. It is not a political thing to allow someone to simply exist as they are. And to make, to try and bring this down to as simple as, like, it's a political agenda that someone's trying to push. No, that's you not recognizing your own privilege and not understanding or not ever feeling um, in a space that you were unwanted because of who you are. So, you know, regardless of uh, whether or not you've enjoyed this episode or if you even got to the end of this episode... Um, I think I can speak for Jeremy when we say that we will never stop advocating um for these marginalized communities and especially you know, when it becomes like we said the more difficult times to be a fan in this league and you know we we are gonna hold our own you know ourselves accountable. we're gonna hold our community accountable. we're gonna hold our team accountable um because that's important to us and we love this community, but we know that this community could be so much better um, if it was a more welcoming and open um, experience for everyone.
0: So, agreed. And on top of that, it's also worth noting that Laura and I aren't the experts in any of this. Correct. And undoubtedly, I can almost say with certainty that during this episode, I'm sure we made mistakes. I'm sure that we didn't necessarily fully summarize the importance of somebody or we might have gotten the facts wrong here, here and there. And so for that, we obviously apologize and we're, we're absolutely, we would, we would correct any of those as people had them. But I think that that is just like a further example of even if you don't feel like you are the expert and you don't feel like you have every single piece of the information that you need in order to tell the story Sometimes just being able to raise your voice and bring awareness to something is the important piece. And so we're encouraging you to do that in any way, shape, or form that you feel comfortable. We've talked about it before, but like challenging your fellow fans at games when they, when you hear them say some racist shit or when you hear them say something really homophobic, like that's like, again, all of this, all of this hatred and all of this bigotry lives in the darkness. And so it's just important to, to shine light on it and try to call it out whenever we can. So we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to try to do that. And Laura, there's no better place to keep up with all of our efforts to do exactly that than on social media and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to throw your way to wrap up the show the way that we know you do best.
1: Yes, absolutely. If you want to follow along with us on our journey of advocacy and learning and continuing to grow and enjoying hockey all at the same time, you can follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at SubjectivelyPod. You can follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at SubjectivelySpeaking. We do have a really great website where you can find all the links to all the things that I am talking to you about right now. And that is subjectivelyspeaking.com. Uh, If you would like to support your two favorite hockey podcasters and get some pretty sweet merch in exchange, which we have our pride logo on a bunch of different stuff in our store. So you can get some of that. If you're interested, you can go to subjectivelymerch.com. And lastly, you can rate, review and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, particularly if you're on Apple podcasts, scroll on down, hit five stars. It is our favorite number. And again, we don't know how the algorithm works. We just know that likes, reviews, subscriptions, all that jazz really helps us get noticed in the hockey podcast charts and helps bring more people to this wonderful and lovely and beautiful community that we are trying to build. And other than that, we just love and appreciate you all so much for who you are. um, And we are happy to make a space for you
0: absolutely and laura you you say it all best is is that this is truly a community that i have come to love so dearly and being able to be a part of even just you know even just being able to be a part of it let alone being a part of trying to push it forward is is really probably one of my greatest joys in life and so we look forward as always to, to talk about hockey with you all. And we look forward to being able to do that on Tuesday for our next episode, but we really appreciate you letting us have the time here on this episode to really just highlight and focus on the mission of hockey is for everyone. And so if you're on your way down to the Jagets game, four hockey is for everyone. Make sure that you, you come ready to cheer on the folks who are, who are doing this work and, and you're willing to appreciate and welcome folks in, in the same way that you would hope to be welcomed in yourself. And uh, I know that if you're listening to the show and if you've gotten to this part, you're, you're one of us and we love you. Uh, we appreciate you. Like Laura says always, and you know, we can't wait to continue to do this work with you and uh, it's, it's going to be fun, but it's always going to be hard. And, and, we're glad to be able to do the hard stuff with you. And so until we get the chance to talk to you all next time, take care of yourselves and most importantly, take care of one another and we will talk to you very soon.
1: Bye.